All righty, let's get started. If you remember, back in the day, we were in Acts chapter 15. We had finished going through the very first missionary journey in Acts 14, and so we're going to pick up. There's a pause, and boy, isn't it an exciting pause here in chapter 15. So we're going to be talking about that this morning, and we're going to ask the Lord for his blessing. Heavenly Father, we know that these truths are spiritually discerned, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit who can apply these truths to our hearts. Lord, it's a living word. It comes from heaven. It doesn't come natural to us. And so we ask that by your mercy and help, we can make sense of what your spirit is saying to each heart here. We know that you ordain our steps. And so you've brought us all here this morning for your sovereign will to build up our faith and to speak individually to each person. So let us hear what the Spirit is saying. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm wondering, I know everybody has seen a debate on television, but how many of you have ever been to an actual live debate? Raise your hand. It's just, it's pretty exciting, huh? It's kind of like a gladiator ring, only with words only, a wrestling match with just quick wit and eloquence, um, all kinds of debates, right? We have political debates. We hear of those all day long. Uh, debates regarding social issues. And then, of course, religious debates. Now, religious debates kind of fall into two categories, I think. Uh, one of the most famous kind, of course, is the uh, argument whether God exists or uh, the atheistic side of life. And so last year, there was just, by the way, I caught a glimpse of a debate at Oxford. And representing the atheist was the world's most famous atheist, Richard Dawkins. Uh, he was there, and representing the Christian faith was the Archbishop of Canterbury, and that is just, uh, it, that just means the head of the Anglican Church in England, and he did quite well uh, uh, looking at all the reviews. But what I found uh, interesting, and this is just a side note uh, here, that when Richard Dawkins was introduced as an atheist, he corrected the moderator and he said, I'm not real, I'm not an atheist. And then everybody just kind of gasped, and then the moderator said, you're the most famous, world-renowned atheist. Why are you saying that? He said, listen. Folks, on a scale to one to seven, one is there is a God, and seven is there is no God, I'm about a 6.9. <laughs> a 6.9. Never did so much rest on one-tenth of one percent. Psalm 14 and verse one, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, and the only reason Richard Dawkins says there's one-tenth of one percent openness is because the Bible says that every human being knows down deep in their heart that they didn't get here unassisted without the hand of God. Our spirits know it. And then there are the other religious debates within the community of faith, inside the Christianity circle, 
doctrinal issues and uh, regarding Christian life and practice. And that is what Acts chapter 15 is all about. A hot debate breaks out here. And the topic, the most important debate that has ever been heard, whether in heaven, on earth, or anywhere in the universe, or whatever time, because the topic of the debate is, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have eternal life, to have my sins forgiven, to be reconciled to the living God, to have a place in heaven? What must I do to be saved? And so such dialogues, heated debates, and discussions are actually encouraged in the scriptures. We are commanded to, according to Jude, to contend for the faith. We live in a, in a world that's not any different from the world of 2,000 years ago when, uh, quote, Ephesians chapter 4, every wind of deceptive teaching comes blowing in and somebody has to stand up and defend and contend. And this is what we will see here in Acts chapter uh, 15. And we can learn a lot because you're hearing voices. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 7, be on your guard for false teachers because they will come to you in sheep's clothing. And so Jesus already gave the church heads up. They're coming. And uh, the New Testament, in fact, is filled with exhortations. Watch out, watch out, don't be deceived. And so we are called to stand up. You hear the voices, you have friends, you go to the Christian bookstore, there are a lot of voices in there that are contrary to the gospel once and all entrusted to us to preserve, to protect, and to live by. And so this is just not a Bible study about what happened back in the day in Acts chapter 15. This is a living Bible study, an exhortation to our hearts today to learn and to glean these insights. Now, here's the map of the first uh, uh, missionary journey, just to give us context. Let's see. A night to remember. <laughs> it was. And let's remember it again. Just kidding. <laughs> there we go. All right. So, for our context, this was the very first Christian Gentile church ever formed. They sent out. Paul and Barnabas on a missionary trip that we just talked about in Acts 13 and 14. It was a success. It was finished, all right? And now, for the very first time, Christianity is growing in the world. They're not the only Christian church filled with Gentiles that look like a modern-day Christian church. Now, there are Christian Gentile churches here and here and here, this is why the book of Galatians was written, because uh, Paul and Barnabas established churches there. So here's the problem, is that from Jerusalem, now that they're back, of course, the pushback comes, spiritual warfare. Christianity is now exploding in the then known world. And now suddenly there's a pause, and in that pause come the false teachers. And here they come, they come up 300 miles from Jerusalem, up to Antioch, and they start teaching and debating and saying, how did you guys get saved? What are you doing? Uh, we're doing nothing, we just accepted it. And then everything we do is a result of having the Holy Spirit in our life, but we didn't do anything, Jesus did everything. 
really, you did nothing. Actually, you need to become a Jew first and keep the law of Moses. Then you can be saved. So entire churches were being turned upside down by this false teaching, and we're going to see this uh, uh, unfold before our very eyes uh, this morning back at the church of Antioch. So introducing the debate, in one corner you have preaching heresy, the false teachers saying, if you want to be saved, you need to first become a Jew. We like Jesus, Jesus is fine, but you'll need to become a Jew first. And in the other corner, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, saying this, Paul and Barnabas, if you want to be saved, trust in Jesus, period. Faith alone, nothing. He did everything. You do nothing. All you bring is a big mess of your sins and your helplessness and your hopelessness. That's your contribution to your salvation. Jesus is called Savior for a reason. He saves you. You do not save yourself, period. So, of course, I said period after trust in Jesus, but I added a little bit more uh, so you can understand and get the feeling. They're saying salvation by grace alone. The other guys say, ah, salvation by doing stuff. Not a free gift. Please. Okay, you ready? Somebody ring a bell. Ding. Here we go, verses one and two. Now some men came down from Judea. Can I just pause there? They're going up 300 miles from Jerusalem up to Antioch, Syria. But any time in the Bible anyone moves from Jerusalem, they go down. Because from God's point of view, Jerusalem is where Jesus' throne will be, at least for the first thousand years of eternity. Therefore, as capital of the coming world, Jerusalem, every time you move from Jerusalem, you're going down from the top of God's world. All right? So some men came down, up 300 miles, from Judea to Antioch, Syria, and were teaching the brothers Unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So, very interesting. If you're taking notes, number one, false teachers come down. False teachers come down. Now, there were some actually, and we'll meet them in this chapter, saved uh, people, saved Jews, who actually were saved and really were hung up on the law of Moses. Uh, but it doesn't seem like these so-called brothers come down are actually saved. Because in Galatians chapter 2, if you're interested, the parallel text, Galatians 2, 1 through 11, where Paul recounts this incident to the Galatians because the false teachers have already gotten to Galatians. And so he's writing, Paul fires off a letter called Galatians to the Galatians, and in chapter 2, he tells them about what's happening in Acts 15. And, and in that, he says, quote, false brothers infiltrated our ranks to spy out our freedom in Christ, to make us slaves again. But we didn't give in to them 
for a moment. And so, so interesting. Paul is telling the Galatians how they dealt with these false teachers at their church in Antioch. Now, false teachers appearing in Antioch and false teachers appearing in our Christian bookstores uh, today, and they are there, uh, where else would they be? Jesus said, Matthew 24, in the last times, and if the last time started with Jesus' cross and Pentecost, in the last times, many false teachers will come, quote, Matthew 24, many will fall away from the faith and be deceived by false teachers. I just asked the question, where are they? <laughs> they're, they're here. They're here in Santa Rosa. You've heard them. They're on the, on the airwaves. So we have to be discerning and we have to be paying attention. So the false teachers are pure because uh, whenever you have a genuine work of God, you're going to have a pushback from the devil. His title, as we've talked about before, means enemy or adversary. That's what his name means. And so when God's kingdom is advancing in your own heart and life, in a church where God is doing amazing things, please know there will be a pushback of some kind. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul says to the Thessalonians, hey, we're not ignoring you. We've wanted to come see you many times, but Satan blocked us. He hindered us. That's his job. And so now Christianity's going viral. For the very first time, it's exploding. So what are we going to do? We're going to push back. And what are we going to do? Since the message is the vehicle of salvation, we're going to distort the message so we can distort the life. Ah, it's one of his best tools. Distort the message. And if you don't believe me that it's the message that saves you, I'll give you four scriptures right now. Number one. Acts chapter 11, verse 14. Number two, 1 Corinthians 1, 8. Number three, 1 Corinthians 15, 2. Number four, uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 12. I could go on. It pleased God through the, the foolishness of the message to save them that believe. Faith comes by hearing the message. Romans chapter 10, I'll just add a fifth one on there, verse 17. If faith comes by a certain message and that message is distorted or changed enough, it no longer can do what it was supposed to do. So at least it's going to hinder your Christian life if you're saved. And at worst, it's going to be a false life jacket. It looks like a life jacket. It feels like one, but it's not gonna keep you afloat. And that's what's going on here. They come in with this idea, you know, to add to Christ's finished work. If you put your trust in anything that you do to be saved, you will be lost for all eternity. So says the Bible. And so we have to stand up and Paul and Barnabas are going to do that. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves. Keep watch over yourselves. Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders on a beach saying goodbye to them. 
Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. What do you do with that? Ignore it, pretend it's not happening. They've slipped in. They're in the bookstores, they're on TV. They're in churches, they're behind pulpits. They're, they're here. Don't panic, all you have to do is know your Bible. Just read your Bible. Compare what they're saying to the Bible. They're saying something that the Bible doesn't say. You don't receive them because it's false. All right? And so thank you for that uh, verse. Okay, we're going to move on. Uh, Usually, false teaching comes in two varieties. One we'll call the error of legalism. Legalism is is where you add to God's word. Uh, So you got to do this to be saved. I ran into somebody once who said, hey, are you, have you been baptized, water baptized? I said, well, yes, but what does that have to do with being a Christian, or being saved, rather? And they said, well, you cannot be saved unless you are water baptized. So they had a little text for that, and so I, I whipped out about 100 texts that say that we're saved by faith and faith alone. So legalists add Liberals subtract. They take away from God's word. Now, the word liberal is a good, idea, a good word for describing this uh, heresy because they're more liberal than Jesus and the gospel. That's why we call them liberals. So Jesus says, hey, enter in through the tiny little narrow door. Narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it broads the way that leads to destruction, and a lot of people go that way. But they say, oh, no, it's not that narrow. It's broader, so we call them more liberal, all right? And so there's lots of examples of that. A good Muslim, when they die, will be reconciled ultimately to God and will live forever with him. That's liberal. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, no one comes to the Father but by me. Liberals either take that away or they say, well, what does that mean? Well, let me go through it with you again. (laughs) All right, Jesus said, I, me, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, in the Greek it means no one comes to the Father but by me. Me means me. So we can go through this again, what it really means, because that's always the way. So they're more liberal. Jesus said, it's through me. Liberals say, well, you know, it's wider. Is there a hell? Well, you know, no. We can't, listen, we can't emotionally bear the thought, so we'll change what we're reading to fit our emotions. Listen, I, 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 I mostly can't take the idea either, but I can't change it to fix it so that I can emotionally cope with it better. Truth is truth. Bible is Bible. 
right? So they just take away. That's what a liberal does. Uh, now, the, the problem wasn't liberalism, it was legalism. And here they were saying, and it's not just circumcision becoming a Jew, uh, we find out in verse five that they're actually saying, not only do you have to become a Jew, but you gotta keep the whole law, like the cultural law, Sabbath, uh, kosher dietary laws. They, they wanted them to bring sacrifices again and put their hands on the lamb and confess their sins onto the lamb and slept that poor animal in and, and, and then the Christians are like, didn't Jesus, isn't Jesus the lamb of God? Why do I gotta do this again? They're all upset. And while they should be, not only 613 laws they wanted them to keep, but to be saved, <laughs> then they wanted uh, a thousand more laws that the rabbis put on. It was a real mess. Now, circumcision, all right? It was a big deal to the Jews. God commanded back in Genesis 17 to Abraham, he said, after he believed, here's the sign of what's happened to you after. He's already saved. So circumcision never saved anybody. It all had to do with the heart. You had to believe like Abraham to be saved. Circumcision was a sign. And here's what the sign said. The sign said, you Jews, my people, are not, you do not exist without the divine, supernatural intervention of God Almighty. I made you alive. You are a supernatural, born again, born from above people, and the mark represents that it wasn't through sperm and egg. It's not sperm and egg. Abraham and Sarah were dead with sperm and egg. So God says, circumcision says, hey, you need a little help, a lot of help, because you were dead. Anybody who's in relationship with me has to have my spirit come in, and not, you are not born through a husband's will or the natural seed or mommy and daddy coming together like that. Sorry, Jesus, flesh gives birth to flesh, John chapter three. Spirit gives birth to spirit. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. Flesh and blood can never inherit the kingdom of God. You know what circumcision was a sign of? You gotta be born again. That's what the sign. It didn't save anybody. It, it just everybody who was circumcised wasn't saved. They became Jews, and it was a sign of it. But if faith wasn't happening in your heart in the Old Testament, you weren't saved because you were uh, circumcised. Why I just slipped and said baptism is because Today, the correlation in the New Testament for circumcision in the old, the sign, is baptism. And it says the same thing as circumcision. I was dead. I brought nothing but my sins that buried me. I was dead. Dead in sin, dead in immorality, helpless, hopeless, without any power, buried. But God, through faith, raised me and gave me life. And up I came to this new person, this new life. I was born again. The process didn't save you. You're just telling the world and yourself what circumcision said. I did nothing, I was a dead man. And God, through just simple trust, I heard the voice, I was in my grave. I heard the voice of the Son of God, and I, I rose up. I walked in a bar 
as a total sinner, as I've told you a thousand times, 1979, 19 years old, I didn't want a thing to do with Jesus' church or God or morality, nothing. I went into party, and God opened my eyes in the bar. I just, I heard the voice. The voice said, this is the end of the road for you. Why will you go to hell when you don't have to? Over and over again, why will you go to hell when you don't have to? Why will you go to hell? I was like, okay, (laughs) all right. I'm not going to hell, because I don't have to. (laughs) On the sidewalk with my brother, said a sinner's prayer. I was born again. I did nothing. I was already filled with God's spirit. I already got the whole plan. I'm on the sidewalk in front of a bar. I didn't want anything to do with God. Come on. Come on. You can't do anything, nothing. After Christ's spirit comes inside of you, you're a new person, and you keep Christ's laws. Of course, he who loves me keeps my commands, Jesus said. So so we don't throw away the laws and do nothing, but I can't earn my way in. But once I'm in as a response, and because I can and now want to, and because I have the Holy Spirit in my heart, now I start doing good. Now that, yeah, there's gospel evidence. James said, chapter two, he says, hey, everybody can say, I believe in God, but I'm gonna show you I believe in God by the evidence of moral transformation of my life that's changing. He said, if you don't have a changed life, that faith is dead. James chapter two. You don't do anything to get saved, but if you are saved, you start doing stuff. That didn't save you. It's just proof that you got saved for free. That's the way to think about it. But I digress, as usual. So, Titus chapter 3, you got that up there? But when the kindness and love of God, hello, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit inside. That's the only washing that saves. Whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified, that word means pardoned or acquitted. Justified means just as if I had never sinned. As holy as Jesus. Justified, oh, I'm interested in that. How do we get it? By grace, we have become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Now, with that laid, you know why Paul and Barnabas blow a holy head gasket when these guys come in and start saying, Are you kidding me? It's not free. Jesus' blood isn't enough. You start eating kosher. And you guys all line up, go to the rabbi and get circumcised. That's not good news. (laughs) That's not good news at all, (laughs) my brothers. (laughs) It means nothing, Paul, all through the New Testament. Means nothing, means nothing, means nothing. The mark on the body means nothing. What counts is the new creation. Galatians chapter five-ish, six-ish, somewhere in there. All right, no wonder. All right, so 
let's get to verse two. <laughs> 12 o'clock. I promise it'll move really fast, especially if you turn on the air, more air in here. Amen? How many want more air? Lights. Amen. Amen. Let there be light. All right. I stole that line from someone else. (laughs) All right. Verse 2. Sharp dispute and debate are very strong words. Christians today are little church mouses. Not in anybody in here, but in other churches. All right. Oh, no. It's not my place to say. I will never tell anybody they're, they're thinking in wrong ways. Wait, it's not my place to say. It isn't? (laughs) Whose place is it to say, excuse me, no, that's not what the Bible says. Actually, the Bible says this. It's all right. Nobody's going to die if you say, "Uh, that's not right. The Bible says, in fact, that's not right. Can we just all say that together? Really? Let's go. That's not right. Listen, did anyone have a heart attack? Raise your hand. uh, Okay. Please, who do you think is behind the intimidation that keeps you from opening your mouth when you hear all kinds of crazy things? You just sit there? Seriously? Well, I don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers and religion is such a personal thing. All right, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm coming down. Blood pressure medicine, quick. Debate. You know what the word means in the Greek? It means insurrection. Do you remember in Luke 23, Barabbas, the nice switch, beautiful picture of us and Jesus there, but the word insurrection was what Barabbas was guilty of. It means to stand up and rebel and to murder. To stand up and say, I will die on this right now. Let's go. You're adding something to the way people are made right with God from God's word. God said this is the way to be right and you're gonna add that? I'm out, okay, let's go. I don't know what's in my hands, but they're weapons. That's what the word means. It doesn't mean just, you know, everybody has their opinions. Oh, come on, you guys. Come on, I am begging you. That's not right. The Bible says, their joy, their freedom, the unity. Oh yeah, everybody has gifts and they're proclaiming, they're speaking in tongues. Oh, these Gentiles, they don't know Moses from Shmoses. They're just happy in the Lord and the Jews and the Gentiles are sitting together and they're eating and they're fellowshipping and God is being honored and glorified and people are coming to him. And then the brothers come in and suddenly at lunch, people are separating. Ooh, what's on your plate? Oh, you're not, you're not saved if you eat that. Oh, no more joy, no more freedom, no more unity. That's worth standing up and saying, excuse me, that's not right. The Bible says something different. And maybe we're not going to be friends after this conversation, but you know what? This is more important to me than our friendship. 
This is the truth of God. And God said, watch out, guard it, protect it, defend it, memorize it, love it, share it, live by it. Little turtles, time to come out of our shells. Amen? Amen. Jude 3 and 4. Dear friends, this is the Lord's half-brother. I wanted to write to you about salvation. (laughs) I felt, though, I had to write and urge you to fight, contend, stand up, rebel, speak, debate. For the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints, for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Exactly what's happening to the American church with homosexuality. Grace turning into a license Romans chapter 1. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural, from God's point of view, natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Let's describe that act. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Liberals. First of all, they take the whole New Testament out and we're only going to deal with Jesus because that's what liberals do. They take away. Second of all, they excuse it. If we can't make it go away, we'll say, well, that's Paul's opinion. Uh, All scripture is God's word. Third, here we go. Get ready for this. This is a new thought. What does that really mean? Who are they really talking about? I hear this every single day. What does that really mean? Okay, let's start from the beginning. (laughs) All right, I'm going to pull some words out to you. Okay, now listen. Come to Jesus freely as you are in your condition, like the rest of us. We're all broken. We're all crazy. We all have sexual immorality. We're all a mess. But we come to Jesus and we get changed and we get fixed and we get healed and we abstain from our former lifestyles that are sinful, shameful, and unnatural. There's no exclusion clause for anybody who has a hard time with a certain besetting sin. This is just one flavor of a million flavors. You want to know what I struggle with? How about you? All of that is paid for on the cross, but we cannot call this okay. Come to Jesus as you are. He will forgive you as you are. You don't have to change. You don't have to be straight. It doesn't matter who you're sleeping with and who you're not sleeping with. It matters about receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior who died on the cross for your sins free of charge to come in and make you a new creation. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. 
The old is gone. The new has come. It doesn't matter how you were born the first way. If it's the second birth that matters, you must be born again. So don't be telling me, well, I was born this way. You want to know how I was born? It was not pretty. <laughs> I'm getting excited. <laughs> there you have it. We love everybody. The cross is for everyone. Salvation is for everybody. Come as you are, but be changed. God loves you exactly how all your hang-ups, everything. He loves you still and says, come to me, all who are weak and weary, and I will give you rest. And then I love you enough not to leave you in that condition. I will change you. I will remake you, whatever your deal is. Amen? Amen. All right. If somebody can show me where I am in all of this, <laughs> that would be such a miracle. I'm just going to turn the page. What do you think? Oh, the rest of the chapter. <laughs> well, let's go. We have a little more time. Okay? How many believe we could get to verse 12? Yes. Amen? <laughs> Sir, last week Adam preached, faith is the evidence of things hoped for. The, what is it? Oh, the conviction of things, the hope, or what is it? Pastor Adam, I'll get the tape. <laughs> 3 through 12, you ready? Okay, so they have a blowout. They say, you know what? Let's, let's send the guys up to, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but headquarters. Let's send them up to headquarters. That's what's happening here. You got elders, apostles. They're saying, you know what? Let the mom church, who we will come under, Ah, this is an organic early church. But there's, I'm sorry, a hierarchy. There is. And not only in that hierarchy of titled positions of apostles and leaders, you have James. James will make the final decision. And they'll come under James. All this talk, talking about false teaching today. Oh, leadership is bad and out in the church. Everybody meet in homes where everybody's equal and there are no leaders. I'm sorry, I'm preaching way ahead. Let's start with three. <laughs> the church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia, so they're coming 300 miles now south, and Samaria, they, told, they stopped in at the Gentile churches and told the Gentile churches about the Gentiles who had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, huh, there are Pharisees who got saved. But they start the ball rolling. The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question after much discussion Peter got up and addressed them, brothers, you know that some time ago, that would be 10 years, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. That was Cornelius, Acts chapter 10 and 11. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, 
for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test, provoke, uh, tempt God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that, they, that we are saved just like them. Oh, I love that. Did, did you see what he did there? He made the Gentiles the prominent Christian church. That we Jews can be saved just like God saving them. Wow, I love that. Verse 11, I mean 12, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling them about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. And so the apostles come down, now the apostles go, I mean the false teachers come down, one, two, the apostles go up. You see the structure? There's structure, there's leaders, there's apostles. There's a problem, you go to leadership. Leadership has authority, servant delegated authority, but the structure's there. So those boys who talked to me at the Starbucks about their home church that did away with all leadership, he said to me, I will never call you pastor. The, the boy did, the young man, 20. I will not call you pastor because we're both brothers. Because you're getting your model from where? From the early organic church. Okay? How much more organic or early can you get than Acts 15? In Acts 15, there's a problem. There are positions of authority. You're reading them. Apostles, missionaries, leaders. The word leaders different than a regular brother. All right? And so now there's a problem, and they're going to have a decision, and they're going to give a decision, and they're going to come under that. So when I hear false teaching, this is wrong. I should not be a pastor elevated only by role, not worth. I am no more valuable or worth anything more than another Christian. I have a different role and a calling and a responsibility. Hebrews 13 Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be no advantage to you. NIV. Let's try the King James. Maybe it's softer. <laughs> Obey them that have the rule over you. Really? Submit yourselves. They watch for your soul as they must give them an account. Oh, God will hold them accountable. That they may do it with joy, not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Let's try it in new living. Surely it'll water it down enough so everybody will be happy. <laughs> Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they know they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this joyfully and not with sorrow. <laughs> that would certainly not be for your benefit. So my brothers in Starbucks who are telling me big traditional church, bad. Home church with no leaders, good. Liberals, liberalism, take it away. 
if we can't take it away, we'll just forget about it. If we can't forget about it, let's just ask the question. Ready? What does that really mean? <laughs> One more time. What does that really mean? I'm so glad you asked. Put it back up. <laughs> the church is under attack. A girl came up to me after first service. I'm doing away with the notes, by the way. A, chur- a, a church came up to me after the girl. <laughs> the girl comes up to me and she says, somebody came up to me, a friend, and said, do you sin? And I said, yeah. And she said, then you're not saved. She said, we believe in sinless perfection. That's been around for a long time, by the way. She was so surprised when I said, yeah, sinless perfection. She goes, what? You know them? I go, yeah, 100 years ago. Yeah. (laughs) Not that I personally knew them 100 years ago. (laughs) Listen. Go to the word. If we say we have no sin, we lie. Check. Number two. If we confess our sins, which we have, he's faithful. This is how you get rid of them. Right? Check. Here's what they use. 1 John chapter 3, where it says, If God's seed remains in you, you cannot sin. You will stop sinning. The word for sin there means continual. In other words, if you're living an unbelieving and evil lifestyle, which dead in your sins, you're just living in unbelief, and God's seed comes into you, you will have moral transformation. You will not continue in that lifestyle. That's all that verse means. All right? Use the word of God. Because there's distortions, right? That's false teaching that would make someone crazy. You know what I told her to tell them? They said, she said, and you haven't sinned? And they go, no, we don't sin. I said, there you go, their first sin. They're lying, (laughs) all right? Not only are they lying, but number two, pride. Oh, we don't sin. Oh, really, you're better than me, right? Okay, that's pride. There's so many sins right there in that one sentence, you know, so you have to be careful. Okay, so... They're going to battle it out. Long story short, here's what Peter says. Okay, brothers, you all know that God picked me, Mr. Jew. Nobody's more Jewish than Peter. To talk to Cornelius' house. And let me tell you, let me remind you, we already been through this question 10 years ago. Don't you remember? That's what he's saying. He's saying all those non-Jews got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. It was like the day of Pentecost for Gentiles. And, and how did that happen? God required nothing from them. But when they heard the word about forgiveness, they all got filled with the Holy Spirit. So now, and I love this part. So now, you want to provoke God. You want to get God mad. Because he's cleared the way for people to come to him, and you're putting blocks up there. So tell me, you, you, you don't mind testing God and putting a yoke, I love this part, a burden on newborn Christians, a burden that you, no one in this room could have kept or do keep, nor from Abraham on. Nobody's ever kept the law because the law was given to lead us to Christ. Galatians chapter three. God never gave us the 10 commandments to make us good people, but to show us how bad we really are and that we need a savior. That's New Testament teaching. 
And so that's what he's saying. Are you seriously going to take these new, joy-filled, spirit-filled Christians and lay on a yoke that you can't keep? You don't keep them, nor did anybody keep them. The golden calf, Israel couldn't keep them from the, the two days after they got them. They're worshiping a calf. Yeah, and so he's saying, listen, Jesus said, no burden here. Come to me with the burdens that people lay on you. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to do this. And I'll give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's finish up. Verse 13. When they finished, James spoke up. <clears throat> Brothers. Now, he's kind of like the senior pastor. You can argue that, but he's the voice. <laughs> Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. For the words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written in Amos chapter 9. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the remnant of, the, of men, that the, that the remnant of men <clears throat> may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. Now, I love this. It is my judgment, therefore. Huh, who are you, James? Well, he's the leader. It's my judgment. Here's the end of it. It's my decision that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who turn into God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from meat of strangled animals, and from blood. This is very interesting. Verse 21. For Moses has been preached every, in every city from the earliest time and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. We're going to make it, people. Let's pause here. Number one, false teachers come down. Number two, apostles go up. Number three, the decision comes down. This is not Peter, James, and John. James. James was martyred in Acts chapter 12 and verse 2. This James came from the same womb as our Lord and Savior. Same mother, different father. He could say, my older brother was God. Now, your older brother may act like it, <laughs> but in this case, it really was. And I could go on for days about that, because but, but, I'm the older brother. <laughs> uh, no, notice the reasoning, and let's just sum it up. James says, number one, we can't, dis we can't deny the testimony. Look at all of these goyim. They're jumping around, they're praising God, they're leaving their sinful lives, they're speaking in tongues. Uh, come on, they didn't do anything, and God's accepted them. Can't deny it. Number two, isn't this what the scriptures say? And he quotes Amos chapter nine. Friends, he could have picked a bunch of Gentiles getting saved scriptures from the Old Testament. He picks one, beautiful one that says that, but also says, answers the big problem. What about the national promises to Israel? Because Christianity is going viral with Gentiles. There's no more Jewish flavor. There's more Gentile Christians than Jews. The Jews are saying, this is losing the Jewish flavor. They're all goyim. They don't even know or care about Moses. They don't even know what the word kosher means. So he picks Amos 9 where it says, don't worry. 
David's tent has collapsed by the rejection of their Messiah. Israel's collapsed. And the tent now is God's people, the Gentiles. But after that, God will restore the tent of David because Jesus is the son of David who will reign in Jerusalem for a thousand years on a throne where Israel is honored and exalted. So many scriptures like that. Let me just read Isaiah chapter two, verse three. Hello. (laughs) Many people will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Israel. Jacob's name means Israel. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, a word for Jerusalem, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Zechariah 8.3. This is what the Lord says. I will return to Zion, Jerusalem, dwell in Jerusalem. Zion's the hill. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. That has never happened, but it will happen. Romans 11 and verse 25 says, a massive revival in the end times that the nation turns as a whole, not every last little Jew, but generally speaking, the whole nation looks up, they're about to be wiped out, and they look up, and they repent, and they receive their Messiah. Amos 9 just says, listen, you Pharisees, all upset about the law of Moses. Listen, number one, Moses is read everywhere. Everybody knows about Moses, and Moses won't get his feelings hurt with all these Gentiles going to Jesus. That's what that means, all right? So chill out. Secondly, don't worry about God's promise to Israel. They are not canceled, they're delayed. That's what Amos 9 is doing in there. So just chill back, you you saved Pharisee. Let the church go Gentile. Let go. It's gonna be a Gentile church. They're not even gonna think of Jews when you say Christianity. Not even gonna think of them. In fact, they're gonna think Jews, Jewishness and Christianity are, are totally separate. And then the whole room goes, no, how could they do that? That's who it is, that's what we are. Oh no, not anymore. God has another people. Jesus said, I've got sheep in a different pen. I gotta go get them, it was a big pen, apparently. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Let's just read the last paragraph for fun. All right? Then we'll all go to lunch and we'll be so happy. We can all overeat together. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Verse 22, we'll just finish it. Then the apostles and the elders and the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, son of Sabbath. And Silas. You know, Judas ruined Judas' name forever. So whenever you see Judas, they have a nickname for him because, you know, who wants to be called Judas, right? So it's son of the Sabbath and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. With them, they sent the following letter. Oh, I'm glad we're finishing this so I can tell you what that means. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers at Calvary Chapel Antioch. Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our 
authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we're sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we're writing. In other words, if Paul and Barnabas went back and said, yeah, they agreed with us. Yeah, right. So they're smart. They send two guys in addition. Verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. That word is not as strong in the Greek, by the way. Uh, it means necessary things, needful, helpful things. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood and from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. You'll do well to avoid these things. Farewell. Let me address this because lots of Christians are confused by this. Here's what they're saying. We're not putting on the law on your shoulders. You do not have to be circumcised. We are asking you some concessions, O Gentile church. In order for you to fellowship and live side by side with Jews, could we ask you a couple favors for the sake of unity? Can we ask you, number one, to be sensitive with what you eat? Because with what, uh, back in the day, all the meat was offered to Zeus. The Jews had their own butchers and butchering systems. And at lunchtime after church, if you're going to have blood sausages, a BLT, and all of that, you're going to offend and, and meat that's sold in the market and dedicated with the incense and all of that. The Jewish believer is going to have a hard time with that. So could we ask you to just be sensitive? It's not a law. It's about love. The second thing is sexual immorality. This kind of stumbles people. Like, what? what that can't be a concession. That's, that's a command. Jews and Gentiles both know. Right? Ah, here's what one commentator said. When James declares that they, that they should avoid uh, sexual immorality, we shouldn't think of it in the common sense of sex outside of marriage, which all Christians, Jew and Gentile, both recognized already as wrong. Instead, James is directing those Gentiles living in such close fellowship with Jewish believers to observe the specific marriage regulations required by Leviticus 18, which prohibited marriages between most family relations. And so, as it is today, out in the pagan world, sexual immorality is so ingrained that people don't even know they're being flirtatious or they're dressing immodestly or they're being overly sensual. It's just the way they were. They weren't being sensitive about it. Also, they were marrying their brother and sister. They were marrying their uh, cousins. He said, that's going to be a problem to the Jews because the Jews think of that as immorality, as fornication. So if you could be a little bit more sensitive about being so provocative and so sensual and about sexual immorality and watch what you serve on the tables, you'll do well. Uh, you'll notice the necessary things are not keeping the law and not being circumcised, all right? The necessary things are about how to come together as Jewish believers, as Gentile believers, together 
in unity. Romans chapter 14 and, verse, and 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the entire chapters about this issue, about the law of love, where there's a gray matter about should I eat the chop from the butcher? Paul says, you know what? Don't ask any questions. Buy what's sold. Don't ask the guy. Serve it, eat it, enjoy it. But if a pagan a Christian says to you, a pagan Christian, a Gentile Christian says to you, hey, that was offered to Zeus. He says, then don't eat it because you're not acting in love. He says, we know idols are nothing. Zeus is a make-believe story. And you're free to eat it. You can eat anything you want. But when you're sitting at a table with a born-again Jew, could you just not stumble them? They're the weaker brothers. The weaker brothers always think they're the stronger brothers. They're doing something you should be doing. And the stronger ones always look down on the weak. Paul loved pork chops, I'm convinced. <laughs> Paul was a Pharisee. He was a Jew. But not everybody was as free as Paul. So thence the letter. Listen, think about love. Think about not stumbling people. There are no requirements. So they go back. There's a big party. They read the letter. And can you imagine the relief? You mean I could just love Jesus? Yeah. I could just pick up my cross and deny myself and follow him and keep Christ's commands. Because anybody who loves Jesus keeps his commands. Yes. You're free to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love others with the same focus that you love yourself. You'll fulfill everything if you just walk with God in love and keep Christ's commands as a consequence of being saved, not as a means to get saved. Amen? Amen. Let us pray together. <laughs> we made it. Praise God. Uh -huh. <laughs> All right. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love. We thank you for your your peace, your joy, and for making it so easy a child can live forever by trusting you. So uncomplicated. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thank you. We add nothing to that, Lord. And we enjoy it. Now let the Holy Spirit overflow our lives with good deeds because we know you. In Jesus' name, amen. I know I don't need to say this, but I like to say it. I just like to thank you when we go a little long. I, I recognize you've got plans, and some of you are hungry. And, uh, I am too. And uh, we had the slideshow. Let me, in defense of myself, <laughs> and jet lag. I'm still in China time, obviously. And uh, I just appreciate you listening and and, and being polite, and I recognize that we went long. Uh, I'll never do it again. <laughs> All right. See, but I can confess my sins. <laughs> I'll try not to do it again. It's really that easy. My friend who's listening, you know in your heart, there's no Holy Spirit there. There's a lot of other <laughs> things going on, but not, not anything holy. It's as easy as saying, God, I'm sorry. You're right. 
I don't have all the answers. I don't know all the answers. I just I know enough that I need to be saved. Come on in and help me. I want, I want to live forever. I want to know your love. That's it. That's all you got to do. That's it. That's going to be the sting in hell. The sting in hell is that it was free. You would have climbed the highest mountain. You would have swum through the seas. But it was free, 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 just for the asking. Lord, save me. That's all you got to do. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. We're all going to say this very profound, long-winded prayer. Ready? Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Amen. Amen.